just like little kids, your, your concept of God will continually change over time. And that's a good thing because God is someone you can study all your life and uh, you will never quite get done studying him. And if you don't believe me, those of you who are married, guys especially, you can study your wife all your life. And I have a little phrase now with Carol, I say, I'm, I'm done trying to understand you, I'm just going to celebrate you. <laughs> and believe me, she says that about me too. But your concept of God at an early age will start to develop, and it starts to develop as uh, kind of concrete images. During those concrete image phases, and that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing, that's how we learn, that's okay, but sometimes people just get halted there. And they take some image of God that, for whatever reason, stuck in their brain. That's the image they live with the rest of their lives. What I want to talk about, just in way of introduction this morning, is uh, some wrong images of God that people hold, even from, from, from childhood. And matter of fact, a lot of people in the church, if you were to ask them, if you would ask them, honestly, what's your view of God? If they were to answer you honestly, these would be some of the things that come out of their mouths. The first one is that God is like a cop. He is in, in, you like that? That's actually a cardboard cutout you can buy. I'm not sure why you'd want that, but uh, he's like a cop. And in other words, he's just waiting for you to do something that's fun so he can yell at you. Oh, that was really fun. God must not have wanted me to do that. He's a, he's a killjoy. He's a person that's he's, he's full of rules, and he knows... He knows exactly those things which you want to do, and those are the kind of rules he's got against you, and so anytime you seek any kind of pleasure or anything like that, he's against it. And you have this view of God. He's just up there waiting for you to make a mistake to slap on those handcuffs and to arrest you. Some people's view of God. Another view of God is kind of the flip of it, is that God is just a ho, 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 big Santa Claus, big spiritual Santa Claus. Oh, it's okay. Everything's okay. And it's kind of like this view of God where God's maybe not quite as smart as you are. Especially not emotionally as smart. He just isn't quite with it. He's this big spiritual Santa Claus that looks down at you and just, oh, whatever. Big, you know, the grandfather image whenever you see the far side or any of those. They got the big, you know, guys making mistakes and, oh, it's no big deal. That kind of a deal. Another image is, and this is really famous now, and it's, and it's true in a sense, but it also can be pushed to an extreme. Oftentimes people put pictures of Jesus and it says, it's a little hard to read that, but it says, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Now, don't get me wrong. I want to approach a Jesus that is meek and mild. I, I want someone who's gentle. I want to know that when I come to him, he is going to hold me in his arms. That's a good thing. But oftentimes you get this image projected on God that, or especially on Jesus, that, you know, he's just kind of wimpy. He's just a wimpy kind of God. He's, he's meek and he's, he's mild. Now, with this true, and, that, and that's true about Jesus, but you got to understand, if you read the Bible about who Jesus was, especially if you read the Gospels about Jesus, meek, maybe, mild, no way. No way. I mean, we often see this picture of Jesus. How many times do you see the picture of Jesus with a whip in his hand, clearing the temple of money changers who were ripping off people, selling them animals at a high price so that they could sacrifice them in the temple? Jesus was livid. 
Anybody ever got, got a picture of Jesus living on their, on their wall with a whip? Or Jesus being face-to-face with the religious rulers of the day? And, and, and he's ripping on them. This is not a Jesus, a meek and mild Jesus. This is an awesome, powerful, stick your fingers in the outlet, your hair all goes woohoo kind of Jesus, okay? Another view that people have of, of God is, um, and I admit, I think early on my, after becoming a follower of Jesus, this was one that I had was, I, I call it God in a box. And there it is. That's called the God box. I'll get back to that in just a minute. Um, but it, it's this God that you've kind of created by your understanding of God, and God most certainly can't do something outside of your box. I mean, heaven forbid that, that God would do something that you don't understand. So you keep God in your box based on your theological understanding of God. Then you open up the God on Sunday morning. You take a look at the God you have in there. And then you close the lid and you keep them nice and safe. The God in the box theory. So God is a Baptist, right? Everybody knows that. Or God's a Presbyterian or a Methodist or Episcopal or Catholic or whatever. God is exactly the way I define him, which will lead to our next one. But no way. God is way bigger than that. But I actually, got, I, I did a little, I wanted to get some images, so I actually went on Google, and I typed in the word God box, and I got this. I'm not kidding you. That is a God box. And, and I'm not going to tell you where, because I'm going to show you what they said about it. Go to the next slide there, David. It says God boxed. $20 for your own, for $20, you too can have a God box. And look what it says. It says, engraved God box or prayer box made from genuine hardwood from an, art, art, from an artisan in Central America. Download our God box prayer and instructions. Give your troubles to God. Give your thanks to for 20 bucks. What a deal. You can have a God box on your desk that you could put a prayer in, close the lid. That's worth 20 bucks. I, I thought, oh my goodness, people probably buy this thing. I got two coming. <laughs> the last thing, and this is more popular now, and if you really think about it, this makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. But this would be the most predominant one. God is whatever you want, however you want to define him. You know, you heard this one? God is, hey, listen, God is too difficult to figure out, so he's just, he just is whatever you want to have him be. It's not saying, you know what, I can't quite figure out all of God, so here's your understanding of God, and here's my understanding of God, and they're both inaccurate a little bit. we got to kind of work with each other and tweak it to be right. No, they're not saying that. They're saying God is however you want to define him. Now, that doesn't make any sense, right? I can't, I can't just say my wife is going to be exactly how I want to define him, or my kids are going to be exactly how I want to define them. Let me show you another slide that will show you how ludicrous this is. <laughs> Speed limit, whatever. Then notice the bottom. Anti-crash crash force fields now in effect. Have fun. That's what would happen if we all just decided to, to define God the way we and live that way. Well, my God says that I should rip all of you off. Or, or my God says that I should take all of you out. Or my God is the one who says that I should be the leader of this country and, and, and murder all kinds of people. You can do all kinds of damage if you don't let God define 
himself. We're in a series right now. It's an in-between series between the book of Acts. For those of you who are gone this summer, we finished the book of Acts, believe it or not. Uh, it took two years. We're starting the book of John. It's going to take <clears throat> years to get through that. I don't even know how long it's going to take. Maybe the Lord will come back before then. Um, <laughs> We're going to go through the book of John. We're doing a little bit in between, just landing on some concepts from the book of Acts and trying to let those concepts hit us in our heart. First week we talked about a woman who is desperate. Uh, we looked at the, the, the concept in Acts where their hearts were, uh, they said they were cut to the heart. So we looked at a woman um, in Matthew where she was desperate for Jesus. She was a prostitute and she came to Jesus, never said a word. All she did was cleaned his feet with her tears. The week after that, we looked at a man. Uh, Peter was asking, how many times should I forgive my brother? And uh, Jesus told him a story about a man who owed a bazillion dollars, and yet he would not forgive the guy at the bottom of the steps for after meeting with the king and being, having his gazillion dollars forgiven, he would not forgive the guy at the bottom of the steps uh, for 89 cents. That was basically the message two weeks ago. And last week, we spoke about the art of suffering well, because the disciples in the book of Acts were actually said they were honored to be considered worthy of suffering dishonor for the name. And it's a very cool passage. This week we want to look at how would you define God to someone who has no concept of God? What are those concepts that are so important that you, you just would want to land on them? And in addition to how would you define it to someone else, in our own lives here, there's two questions I want you to wrestle with as I'm, as I'm going through this. First one is, am I holding on to any wrong views, maybe some of the ones I put up or more, about God? And then those, those gods got to die because they're not the real God. And then the other question you have to deal with is, well, maybe I have a right concept of God, but am I living my life with God being the very center of everything or is God just like a piece of the pie of my life? Those are the two questions I want you to deal with. So if you have a Bible with you, open it up to Acts chapter 17. Um, usually in this series, we take a, a passage of Acts and we use it as a springboard to kind of go to uh, somewhere else. This time I'm going to spend most of my time in the book of Acts and then we're going to do a little fun thing with the book of Daniel real quick. But if you got it, open it up to Acts 17. And just to give you the background of this, we're going to start in verse 22, but just to give you the background of what's happening here, Paul is meeting with a group of, of philosophers, Stoic philosophers uh, in Greece, and he's meeting with them, and they're really smart cookies. They're highly intelligent, but they know nothing about the real God, and they love to talk about philosophy and religion and all those kind of things, so, so he's going to give them a lecture on who this God is. Okay, starting in verse 22. I'm going to read it once through, and then we're going to kind of break up and see what are the top ten things that Paul wants to communicate to these people who know nothing about God, but they're highly intelligent people, but they're ignorant of God. They're God ignorant. What are the ten things that Paul says? Let's start with ground zero and have you learn. Okay, let me read it once through, 22 to 28, and then we'll go kind of slower through it. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens! I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Paul's a genius. He figures, how can I tell about God? And he sees this altar that says, to an unknown God, which was not made to be about the real God. It was, does anybody know what that was for? 
It, it was to cover their behinds in case they'd forgotten a god. So they just write one that says, to an unknown god, in case we forgot, we want to appease this other god in case you forgot one. Paul, being a genius, says, I want to tell you about that god. This is a really smart cookie. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. And here he goes. Here's his top ten. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live, excuse me, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. All right, I want to go through. If you, you're talking with something, he dumps the truck. He dumps the truck on them of who this God is. And one of the things that, if we, as we've been around uh, at Hope here for nine years, Hope is designed to be a place, if you're here today and you're going, what is this God thing all about, man? I am definitely in the whatever category. I, I, what is this all about? Hope is designed to be a place where you can just, just hang out. No one's going to pressure you. You can just learn slowly the whole thing. One of the things that we've learned over the last nine years is that people who are, are maybe God ignorant are not necessarily necessarily stupid. They can handle a lot of information. So Paul dumps the truck on them and who this God is. He gives them, I think, 10 things. Uh, maybe he was a Letterman fan, I don't know. But top 10 things of who God is. First one. He says in verse 24, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it. Okay, so in just that little, whatever it is, 9, 10 words, he dumps on them and says, by the way, you were created by an awesome God. God is creator. That's a lot. That's a lot to handle all at once. But he just dumps it right on him. Now, I don't know about this. I, I, I tend to think that this one is an obvious one. But, but uh, again, I looked at the anatomy thing or the, the kid popping out of my wife thing. And it just, it just says, screamed, coming out. This is real quick, no pain. The, um, <clears throat> it just to me screams God. It just, it just screams God. Yes, uh, when I walked up this morning, uh, we had a, 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 a wedding here, say a bird seed thing, and there was a squirrel out here. Squirrels just scream God. I used to have a dog. The dog would come up to me and, and just, I could just tell this dog, it just screamed God. Those of you who have cats, it's proof of the existence of Satan. Sorry, Bart. <laughs> Bart got a cat church discipline after the service. <clears throat> anyway, I digress. God made everything. God made everything. Now, you, you want to ask me how he made everything. I don't know. I wasn't there. But he made everything. If you, if you if keep up current with, with uh, uh, physics right now, the whole Big Bang Theory, I'm going to botch this bad. So those of you who are physics major are going to come up afterwards. But basically, what they, the Big Bang Theory used to be that there was all this mound of stuff into a, 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 a ball, and it went kaboom, and it went everywhere. Now they've, now they've come to the, the conclusion that actually the ball was so tightly compacted that it actually was 
really nothing. And I remember when this, this discovery came out, I don't know how they figured this out. Somebody had a video camera at the beginning or something, I don't know. But, and, and the, the, uh, the interviewer asked this physics, physicist, he said, uh, what, that, that sounds an awful lot like Genesis. And the physicist said, said this, <clears throat> he said, I don't know about Genesis, but I do know this. There are not many atheists in the physics department anymore. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't know if they believe the Bible. But they do think now that it came from some designer. There's some, it's just, it had to be. God is creator. That is huge. It's listed all over the Bible. It's not just in Genesis. It's throughout the Bible. God is creator. Second thing, Paul dumps on him. And he says, okay, remember, these guys are coming from a, a background. They have multiple gods. They're not even sure if they really exist. You know, Greek, Greek mythology and all that kind of thing. So he just says there's a creator God. And second of all, he says this creator God is Lord of heaven and earth. Uno numo uno uno. God. He's the big one. He's the Lord of all the gods. Now, he's using a singular here, so he's just basically going to say, your unknown God is the only God, and he's God. He's the Lord. He's in complete control. He's the one and only. There is only one. He has authority over every single thing. He's creator and he's Lord. Then he says this to them. And he, they did, uh, third thing here is, this God does not live in a temple that you make. Now, that one sentence blows their theology completely out of the water. There's a creator God. There is, he is the ultimate God. And by the way, you don't create this God or you can't even make a house for him to fit in. What does this one mean? Uh, he does not live in temples built by hands. God is not constrained by false ideas that you have about him or that anyone has about him. God does not cease to be God because people think wrongly about him. You know, and quite honestly, God is, God is a big boy. God is a big God. God can take care of himself he doesn't, it doesn't really matter to his godness whether you think rightly about him or not. If you want to build him a temple and put, think you can put him in, if you want to get a box, pay 20 bucks. I don't know what shipping is from Costa Rica, but if you want to get a box, think that God can be in there where you put your little prayer things in there. God doesn't, seek, doesn't cease to be God, but you know what? He's not more in the box than he is anywhere else. Fourth thing he says about that. So he's already really, really uh, pulled the trigger on them. Verse 25, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. You can't serve God. Some of you are making it your life goal. You say, I want to just serve God. You can't do it. You know, you, you serve me when I go out to eat. I'd like a Diet Coke with a lemon wedge. That's what I always get, you know? Yeah, yeah, you're laughing, aren't you, Angela, because we had Diet Coke craziness at the intern training this last week and I had to go get some. Diet Coke, lemon wedge, and just keep the free feels coming because I'm addicted to this thing, I admit it. Okay, and that's my servant. They'll, they'll get me this because I need something. I need a Diet Coke. I need it. <laughs> right now! No, no. Thank you. There's a few of us around. Um, there's something in that stuff. I don't know what it is. I tried to quit it and I admit it. I am addicted to that thing. Um, okay, so uh, what was I talking about? <laughs> That's it. All I'm seeing now is this 
can, white and can in that. Okay, doesn't need anything. The servant, to serve, he doesn't need you to serve him. Take it easy. In fact, Jesus said in Mark 10, for even the Son of Man does, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Whoa, back up. You're talking that God is going to go get me Diet Cokes? Yes, God serves you. We'll see that in just a second. God needs nothing. That might be the most freeing thing you can hear this morning. Now, I, I would love to see this church and, and, and everyone here and as the students come back and we go to two services and there are more of you, I'd love to see every one of you every day following God with all of your hearts and obeying all of his teachings. But God doesn't need you to obey his teaching. He doesn't need you to do it. God will be God the next morning. Now, don't just hear that I said, don't obey the teaching. That's not true. But if your motivation is, God, you, I know there's, you just be, there's something will be deficient in you if I don't, you know, uh, hmm. do it because of the next thing. Look at the next thing. It says he needs nothing, and yet he gives. Look at the second part of verse 25. Because he himself, look, you've got to read it in context. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. That is crazy talk. Almighty God gives you life and breath. Everybody take a breath. Okay, exhale. Yeah. That breath was a gift. It was a gift. And then it says, and everything else. You got something that you just got or you got a new relationship or whatever that you're excited about. It's a gift. What, what Paul's, I think, getting at and trying to teach them is, here's this God. He doesn't need anything. He's totally self-dependent. He doesn't need the world. God didn't make the world because he was lonely. He did it to display his glory and because he loves to give. That's great because I'm designed to love to take. It's true. That's a radical concept. And it says that this God who is almighty and creator and Lord of all things, he's a good God, which is a good thing to know when you're talking an omnipotent power, eh? It better be good, because if it's not good, whoa, you get, it's bad. <laughs> Next thing is, he says, from one man... He made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. He made all of us. He made every single person. And that they should inhabit the whole earth. Then it says in verse 27, the sixth thing about God is that he did this. Uh, I'm one ahead of myself. I'm sorry. Second half of verse 26. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Did you, did you hear that? It says that God determined, determined the time set for them. He knows your days from day one to the last day. He knows those days and he knows exactly where you're going to be. In fact, he determined where you're going to be. Now, Paul's not trying to knock on free will. Free will is free. You have free will. You have real choices. But you don't have free will if you mean free from 
the constraint of God. Of course not. Of course not. But you have real choices. I know. I know. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. I don't have a clue either. But it's true. It's true. God is completely sovereign. There is nothing, nothing in your life that is an accident. God doesn't sit up there and go, oh, 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 oops. Watch out for that bus. Rob? Yeah. Rob just got hit a bus. Actually, the bus hit him. Make sure it's clear. God did not say when that bus was smacking into the back end of your Passat. Sorry about that, dude. No. He planned it. He planned it. He knew what he was doing. He's completely sovereign. He determines times and places and even hard things you're going through. He does them as a loving father to develop you further on. That's the promise in Scripture. But he's completely sovereign. Whoa. Paul is dumping the trucks on these people. He's, he's a completely sovereign God. He's not just kind of up there hoping things go his way. Things go God's way. Because he determines the times and the places. The next thing, I want you to skip to verse 28 because he kind of sandwiches some more concepts about God in verse 28. Verse 28 then says, For in him we live and move and have our being. All of life is to be revolved around God. We live and move and have our being. If, you're, if your view of God is accurate, you now are earth and earth revolves around the sun, not the other way around. You, you set yourself in a way that you just tune into God and let God be the center of everything. Then Paul wants to describe in verse 27... Paul does all, or excuse me, God does all these things for a reason. God does all these things and he wants an outcome. God is involved for a reason. He does it so that, and then the last thing is, there's a, there's a required response from us. The tenth thing is, so that men and women would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. God does all this stuff. He created the world from one person, created all the people, had them live on all these different lands. He sets your times, places you would live. He does all that stuff, gives you life, breath, everything else. He does that for a reason so that you'd go, I want to find God. Where's God? In fact, if you've got a King James Bible or a New American Standard Bible in front of you, it says you'd, you'd grope out for God. You're looking, where is he? Where is he? I want to find God. That's why God did all these things. He's putting something within you that makes me say, like a slingshot, I want to be shot back to God. Those are the top ten things Paul wants to communicate to you. There is a response. You will have a response. He says you're going to seek. Either you're going to seek or you're going to run away. You're going to be going towards or you're going to be going away from. Or he says you're going to reach out. You either reach that hand out and say, God, here it is, or you reach out that hand out and say, why did you do that? Slap God in the face. Or, Paul says, you will find him. You will seek for him and you will find him. Jesus promises that if you seek after him, you will find him. Or, if you don't look, you will lose. You will lose him. Now, to close this morning, I want to look at one man's journey from being a person who wasn't seeking, who wasn't reaching out, 
And it certainly wasn't finding to someone who was. So you can either just, you don't have to turn there, you just pay attention. This is a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. It's found in Daniel chapter 4. And this king was full of himself completely. Thought he was the greatest thing. This is after Israel had been taken out of their country and been put into exile in all different places. And some of those people, Daniel in particular, was right there with the king Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, Daniel was one of his big shots in in with Nebuchadnezzar. The king has this dream. This dream is basically that he sees this big tree with all of its branches going everywhere. And, and it's just awesome tree. And then there's this voice from heaven that says, cut down the tree. But leave the stump. And basically, let the stump go mad. Let the stump go crazy for up to seven times. And Daniel interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar and says, you are that tree, Nebuchadnezzar. You are that tree. If you look in Daniel chapter 4, he says, oh, I just hope that you can, he says in the end of it, he says, therefore, O king, please listen to my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. But that's not what happens. Look at verse 28. If you want to look on the insert, you can just look on the screen. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, so he forgot the dream, forgot all that Daniel told him. As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my power and for the glory of my majesty? Huh? Huh? I'm big stuff here. I am God. Look at all have I done. It says, The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people who will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times, that's seven years, will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, What had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle, kind of like mine, and his nails like the claws of a bird. At at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became ever greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt the king, and, excuse me, and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just." And then he closes with this. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Having a wrong view of God 
And holding on to that view, when God reveals himself to you as who he is, is ultimately pride. It's ultimately saying, no God, I will define you. I will name you. I'm really God over you. You stay in the box. Nebuchadnezzar says there's two things, that, there's two ways this can go down. You can either choose to open the box and let God be God the way he defines himself and humble yourself or those who walk in this kind of pride, he's able to humble. Hope, I beg you, choose the first one. Because you see what the second one looks like. I beg you to choose the first one. Let's pray. God, we want to glorify you as who you are, not how we define you, not even the maximum of our theology. You're bigger than that. May we never worship our theology or our understanding of you. May we worship you, the great God, who's so much bigger than any of our thinking, so much bigger than any of our theology. You are awesome, God. Lord, in this room right now, there are hurts and pains that my words aren't going to touch, but you by your spirit and a touch can do because you're that kind of God. You're that powerful. You know the thoughts of everyone sitting here right now. You know their thoughts deeper than them. You know their personalities deeper than them. You know our sins deeper than we do. And yet you look upon us with incredible love and an incredible wooing saying, come to me, come to me, seek me, reach out for me, find me. God, there are people here this morning, myself included, who need to redecide to let you be the sun and we be the earth that goes around it. To let you be the center of everything. God, we need a God-centered perspective on living in every capacity. God, would you by your spirit prompt into us, prompt into us a, a proper image of you and let those false gods that we think are you would you let those become more evident and would we let them die? We pray this in Jesus' name.